Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. As I mentioned last week, uh, we have been confronted with this whole matter of social injustice for about two months. It's going on three months. And it's particularly in the form of racism. So I'm taking a couple of weeks to address it and just to help Christians walk through this biblically so as to please God. Now let me remind you, social injustice is everywhere, all right? It's not just racism. That just happens to be the thing that's before us big time at this present time. But you know, social justice is everywhere because of sin in the heart of man and a lack of love for God and for others. I said that last week. And it's been this way since the fall and it will unfortunately continue until Christ comes and makes all things right and new. A little earlier we were reading from John 15 where Jesus told his disciples that if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In the first century, Christians of all races were being persecuted for their faith and suffering injustice from the government and unbelieving people of the communities. About mid-first century, Nero was the Roman government. And uh, he was the king. And one of the things about him is that he had a lust and craving to build. Well, in the first century, because there was nothing more for him to build, he decided to burn. <laughs> it backfired, burn Rome. And what did he do? He made Christians the scapegoat as a result of that. So you can just imagine how difficult it was. They were being persecuted for their faith. And now even more so with what Nero had claimed the Christians had done. This was the backdrop of the epistle of 1 Peter. And as far as the apostle knew, this wasn't going away very soon. Beloved, those were dire circumstances and much worse than we find today. Just trying to put things into perspective. And so Peter wrote this epistle, this letter, to believers in various regions as an encouragement to help them deal with the animosity and hostility that was out there. He offered them eternal truths to guide them in their thinking and in the way that they should respond. And these are just as relevant today as they were then. Why? Because God's word is timeless. Amen? Yes. That's what's such a blessing about coming together as God's people and looking at his word. Because what was said then is for us today. It's timeless. So therefore, I want you to consider with me a number of principles from this epistle that I trust will give you a 
godly perspective in handling social injustice. Yes, I'm going to give you nine. (laughs) Nine this morning. But I want you to know there are more than just nine. There's, There's many. I'm just focusing on these nine. And so I'm not going to be spending a great deal of time on any given one. As I said last week, this is going to be a flyover of 1 Peter. Now, I could have broken this up into a couple of weeks. My brother Bob said, you know, Kirk, you could spend two or three weeks on this. Uh, Don't be afraid to do that. Well, I probably would. But next week, uh, my wife's birthday, and we are celebrating our anniversary, so I'm going to be away, and I'm going to get this all packed into one. But I do trust that what you hear this morning will be of tremendous help and encouragement to you. So be patient, as we might be a little bit longer today, but not that much longer, all right? The first principle is captured right away in the first five verses. I just love how this starts out. Look what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what was Peter saying right away in this epistle? Be encouraged by your living hope when suffering unjustly. Be encouraged by your living hope. This is how he starts off the epistle. Peter looked to turn their hearts away from the temporary to the eternal. He wanted them to see that they were a blessed people in spite of their circumstances. He says, first of all, you've been chosen. (laughs) You've been chosen by God's grace and love. They had been mercifully born again through the finished work of Christ. They were secure in the power of God. And they had an inheritance Waiting for them. Reserved for them. That's what he stresses in these first five verses. Oh, beloved, I pray that as you see all that is happening around you, may you focus upon and find solace in these very truths. In your living hope. You know, last week we sang that song, Living Hope. Such a wonderful song. And I think our worship team has led us in that a number of times. Are these just words that we sing from our lips? Or is this the joy of the Lord in your heart? Because it is the joy of the Lord in your heart. You can walk through anything that's going on around you. 
You can live with an eternal perspective. The life here is very, very short. It's but a vapor that appears for a little time and then it's gone. But what you have awaiting you and what you possess as believers is so much greater. And so may God encourage your heart in these days with those thoughts. Be meditating upon it. Be encouraged by your living hope when suffering unjustly. The second principle follows on the heels of the first. It's simply this. Rejoice that your faith is being tested, proven through unjust suffering. Rejoice that your faith is being tested, proven through unjust suffering. Look what he says in verses 6 to 9. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Rejoice that your faith is being tested and proven. Peter was saying that in spite of the distress that they were experiencing through suffering unjustly, the believer's faith was being proven through it. You see, to him, this was far more significant than anything else they could imagine. Just as he says here in this text, more precious than gold, which is perishable. And you know why? Because it results in the assurance of your salvation. It results in praise to God who is sovereignly using suffering according to His plan. And He's bringing about their spiritual growth and sanctification through it. Wow! That is so much better. Look what he later says in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. He comes back to it again. Chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So often, beloved, Christians fight against their trials and the tough circumstances that are around them. Why? Because it intrudes upon your comfort. (laughs) Let me just raise my hand. Yeah. In fact... I can't help but believe that there are possibly some black believers. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who are out there reacting to the social injustice rather than responding to it. What do I mean by that? Where they could say, you know, oh God, I don't like 
what is happening around me or how people are treating me. But I know that, God, you oversee it all for my good and your glory. Beloved, that's proven faith right there. That's how our black brothers and sisters in Christ could be responding. Although they might be reacting. And yet, beloved, may all of God's people, whether you're black or white, Asian, Hispanic, Jewish, so on and so forth, have this kind of attitude, no matter what you are encountering. Rejoice that your faith is being tested and proven. It is far more significant than anything you can imagine. God has your best interests at heart. Wow. (laughs) What a way to start out this epistle. But I'm not trying to be cold or insensitive here. Do you think Peter was? No, he's trying to be an encouragement to them because he loves them. And he sees all that's happening to them. As well as to himself. This leads right into the third principle. And that is this. Be a testimony of holy living while suffering unjustly. Be a testimony of holy living while suffering unjustly. This whole point just bleeds throughout this epistle. Look what he says right there in chapter 1. He gets right to it. Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Turn with me over to chapter 3. We see him coming back to it again. Verses 8 to 12. He says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life. To love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's a quote right off Psalm 34. And you also see him coming back to it again in the first part of chapter 4 as well. You know, beloved, many times in difficult circumstances, unholiness comes out of God's people. That's unfortunate. The flesh raises its ugly head. And bad attitudes, impure speech, and wrong behavior pour out of our lives. And oh, how I've seen it with Christians during this time. And you know what the worst of it is? Is that they turn around and use the trial as an excuse for their actions. And maybe even continuing in them. 
rather than taking responsibility and repenting. Instead, as Christians, remember that you have everything that's necessary for life and godliness. Who said that? Peter did. Yes, under the inspiration of the Spirit. He says it in his very next letter. It's part of the first words that he said to those people. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. And so in these days when injustice is everywhere and possibly impacting you, by God's grace, let your light shine before the world. May they see something that is divine and different from what they are seeing around them. And what is that? A holy life. A holy life. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 2.12, these words, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Wow. Now to the fourth principle. Which is seen there at the end of chapter 1 through the first part of chapter 2. And it's simply this. Long for the word of God when suffering unjustly. Long for the word of God when suffering unjustly. It says there in verse 23 of chapter 1. For you were born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if or since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. As you see, a person is born again, given eternal life through the Word of God. And then that same person grows spiritually through the Word of God. In fact, it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that work together, which sustains believers throughout their lives. Amen and amen. As we think about that, we should just be praising God that He has given us these things how blessed we are. So why wouldn't Christians look to the word, long for it, especially when suffering unjustly? And yet I find God's people going away from the word, going in a different direction, living unholy lives, stopping their service, everything. We of all people should be turning to the Word of God. These are times, beloved, when you should be seeking God through the Scriptures and being directed, guided by Him. So that your heart doesn't turn to what is stated there in verse 1. That's why he says what he does. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, So it gets put in its place, (laughs) longing for and living by the Word of God. But if we're not in the Word of God, it's no wonder that some of those things in verse 1 are coming out.
May you be mindful of that man, Joshua. Remember him? The Old Testament there. He was taking over the leadership of Moses when Moses passed away. When you come to chapter 1 of Joshua, it is God who is speaking to him. He sees his heart. There's some fear in his heart. I can imagine that it's probably because as Moses' right hand, (laughs) he saw how this man was oppressed by the nation of Israel, two to three million people. (laughs) And so he's up next. There's fear in his heart. But what did God say to him? How are you to lead through all of this mess? These words, Joshua 1, 8, 9. My life verse comes out of this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a promise (laughs) for all of God's people. And especially for my black believing friends who are out there. So long for the word of God when suffering unjustly. Yes. There's such peace and solace there from the word of God. Because you have been born again. You have life. And the word of God is life. (laughs) It feeds your soul. This brings us to the fifth principle spoken by Peter. And that is this, be reminded of who you are and to whom you belong when suffering unjustly. Remember who you are and to whom you belong when suffering unjustly. We just keep going through the text here. Verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, pilgrims, (laughs) this is not your home, okay? You have a far greater home. To abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. The point that the apostle was making here is that you are Christ's possession. You have been bought with a price, the blood of Christ. How often do you think about that? It is a discipline. But I would say that if you're not thinking that way... (laughs) You're going to have struggles with this whole matter of suffering unjustly. But if you remember who you are and are meditating upon that, it will have a great impact on how you live each day. 
And so you don't want to do anything that would lead you to sin and harm the name that you represent. I said that last week, did I? In fact, 2 Timothy 2.19 says these words. And remember, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. His final words. <laughs> I want you to get this, Timothy. The firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. You call yourself a Christian? <laughs> you better live like it. People better see that. Or you shouldn't be saying it. So once again, in whatever you involve yourself to stand against social injustice, and I know there are many things out there calling the Christian, be careful that Christ is honored and glorified. I said that last week. And that's why I'm reiterating it again. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's how we conduct our lives. In everything. Everything. Our life is one of what? Worship. It is. Now, before I go on to the next principle here, I want to make a passing comment on 2.13 to 17. Last week, I mentioned the need to respect the governing authorities whom God has appointed. And so my goal here is not to repeat what I said last week. But that's what verses 13 to 17 of chapter 2 are about. But I do think it's interesting that Peter here, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit is calling believers to such action. When it was the Roman king and his governing authorities who led the charge <laughs> against Christians and was treating them poorly. Think about that. That's the passing statement I want us to make in regards to this. Yes, we are to respect the governing authorities unless we are asked <laughs> to sin against God, to disobey Him. There are times when we kind of shake our heads and wonder, where is that coming from? And our hearts want to stand up against the governing authorities. You see, that's what the world is doing. The world needs to see something different from Christians. And here you have Peter calling Christians to submit to the governing authorities when it was the governing authorities who were bringing this trial against them. Wow. Was Peter being cold and insensitive? <laughs> no. He just knew this wasn't going away. He also understood the words of his Lord. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. He knew those words. And so he's reiterating it just in a different way for God's people. Well, this leads right into principle number six. That's why I made this passing comment here. And that is this. Follow the example of Christ in suffering unjustly. Follow the example of Christ when suffering unjustly. Verse 19 
through verse 23 of chapter 2. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Well, you deserve it. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. And he's pointing back to what he just said. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And we'll stop right there. This text says it all, doesn't it? You bet it does. Personally, I believe it is the beating heart of this epistle. As I said last week, the greatest injustice of history was the crucifixion of Christ. And yet, that was in the plan of God. If you remember, I quoted Isaiah 53.10, that great chapter about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to crush him. Every time I read that or think about it, I just have to take a pause <laughs> to just dwell on that and just thank God in that moment for his grace in all of that, his wisdom to allow that kind of treatment of my Savior so that I might have eternal life. You might have eternal life. And so Jesus Christ did not react to his poor treatment. He was suffering unjustly. Says it right there in verses 22 and the first part of verse 23. He didn't react to it. But what did he do? He responded. And how did he respond? What does Peter say at the end of verse 23? He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. Wow. What a statement. That's why I say this text right here, these few verses, is the beating heart of this epistle. Everything leads into it and out of it in what Peter says. And so, beloved, there are no excuses for poor attitudes and actions when suffering unjustly. The world does that. (laughs) Instead, it's a time to entrust yourselves to God who sees all. And He will bring about justice at the proper time. And according to his will. So may God give you the grace to keep your eyes focused on Christ. And following his example. Just put him before you. Whenever there's the temptation. To revile. To slander. To fight. Think of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. It will draw us back a little bit. This brings us to the next principle, number seven, which flows out of the previous one that I just mentioned. Realize that you are to be a gospel witness when suffering unjustly. Have I said that before? (laughs) I have. 
I've been stressing this for a number of weeks, just in different ways and through various messages and texts of Scripture. Because this is a, a wonderful opportunity that we have in this moment to share Christ. It is, it is an open door. I found that to be true of my own self in the last couple of weeks. And people are talking to you. And I'm thinking, ah, how can I use this to share Christ? Look what he goes on to say in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, and verse 7 and following. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, I understand that to be a husband who is unbelieving, who does not know the Lord. They may be one, that is their husbands, without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold, jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Verse 7, you husbands, in the same way, and again, He is referring back to what is said in verse 1 and then to the example of Christ before that. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, whether they are believing or unbelieving. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. He goes on in chapter 3, verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But then what does he go on to say? Sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience. So then the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Again, this matter of sharing the gospel was indeed mentioned last week and weeks before. So much does not need to be said here. But I do want to make this statement. I can only imagine with the persecution of believers that was going on in the first century, how difficult it was in marriages where there was just one believing spouse. Just take a moment and think about that. There is all this trouble from without. And now it's also going on in the homes. They can't get away from it. Because you have an unbelieving spouse that's acting like the world. (laughs) yeah i can only imagine and yet even in that situation god is calling them to be a testimony of the gospel and for all christians to be ready to share their hope as he goes on to say in verses 13 through 17 there you see that is the bigger picture It's not to say that Peter was unconcerned for these individuals, husbands, wives, God's people in the midst of all this. No, he was concerned for them. 
But the bigger picture is what? God is sovereign. He's in control. And he wants you to use that as an opportunity to share the gospel. Isn't that what Paul did in Philippians? He was in prison, chained day and night. And he rejoiced that the gospel was going forth in the midst of all that. Beloved, don't let hard circumstances keep you from being faithful to the Lord. Don't be fearful. Especially see your bad experiences as an opportunity to be a witness of the truth. Clearly, this is God's will and should be our great desire. Now to principle number eight, which is captured there in chapter four, verses 14 to 19. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Maybe there was temptations to do such in such harsh circumstances. Make sure that none of you suffers like that. But if anyone suffers as a Christian... He is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Or we could read verse 19 like this, and this is the way it should in the Greek. Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God in doing what is right shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator. We sing that song, Great is thy faithfulness, don't we? Sure we do. Do you believe that? It says it right here. Even in troubling times. So what was Peter saying? Realize that you are blessed when suffering unjustly. Realize that you are blessed. In other words, you have God's approval. You have God's approval. You see, when God's people are living righteously and responding with grace to the injustice they receive, like our black brothers and sisters in Christ regarding the racism that they are experiencing. God is pleased. Why? Because the Spirit of God rests on you. You have God's blessing. You have His approval. Now, God may use the injustice as a purging process in your life but also his eternal judgment will come one day upon unbelievers for their injustice and that's what he's saying there in verses 17 and 18 and so god's people can entrust their souls to their faithful creator how i pray that you would find this encouraging to your heart in these dark days. You're blessed. Though you might be experiencing all of this. 
Can't you see how some of these principles just override with one another? Yeah, you can. This is a part of your testing, the proving of your faith. (laughs) Finally, the last principle that I want to bring before you is chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. It says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while... The God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And all God's people say, Amen. What the Apostle wanted his believing readers to know is that God will exalt a humble heart from suffering injustice. This is how he closes the epistle. In fact, just as he began, (laughs) he closed. He comes back to some of the same things he started with. God will exalt a humble heart from suffering injustice. So what did he go on to say about a humble heart? What does it look like? Well, first of all, verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. A humble heart does what? Rather than becoming anxious, he takes those matters, all that's happening to them before the Lord. Again, Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. A humble heart casts their anxiety upon God because He cares for them. They know that. They believe that. That's why they do it. Also, a humble heart resists the devil in your faith. Isn't that what he goes on to say in verses 8 and 9? He talks about the devil in verse 8 and then in verse 9. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Yes, you're going to have many temptations. The, The devil is out there. He wants to devour. He wants to harm. He wants to destroy the Christian's testimony. So he calls them to look to their brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing the same thing. Let's all be faithful. Let's stand on our faith, resisting the devil. And then, you have there in verse 10, a humble heart trusts the sovereign, sanctifying work of God. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see what God is about? See what's important to God? You see it right there. He's preparing, this time here is just a preparation for eternity. And I trust that in all of this, our faith is being proven. 
before a lost and dying world that sees something different than what they're accustomed to seeing. And finally, a humble heart worships God. That's what he's calling his, his listening audience. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> he's calling his readers to worship God. Beloved, if you find that your heart is responding in this fashion, when facing injustice, you should be encouraged. Why? Because God will exalt you at the proper time. Now, when will that happen? (laughs) I don't know. It could be in this life, but it also may be when he comes, when he returns. And as I said before, life is but a vapor, right? It appears for a little time and then it's gone. That's all this life is. But you will be exalted by God. We have these words in James chapter 4. I've turned to James a number of times over the last couple of weeks. But it says there in verses 6 to 10 of chapter 4. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. In other words, have a repentive attitude. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. You see that right here. Because mourning over sin is a humble heart. Humble yourselves in the present Lord and He will exalt you. That's a promise. And so may God's grace be sufficient for you. You know, beloved, what Peter said in this epistle is so contrary to the natural way of thinking. It's countercultural, isn't it? I mean, you're just sitting here listening to this this morning going, wow, the world certainly doesn't think like this. No, it doesn't. But remember who you are and to whom you belong. Okay? We are to be a countercultural people. This is God's perspective in handling social injustice. What is happening today is nothing new. It was happening then. It's just in a different form, that's all. And so I pray that you will apply the principles that you have heard this morning. I know there are a number of them. You could easily forget them. But Lord willing, you've taken notes. Put it in your Bible. Meditate upon this throughout the week. Let God just pour it through your soul. And watch how you will change For his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the patience of your people. Just in walking through these many principles. God, I trust that your spirit will take and apply what your people need. Each one is different. God, you know. And so help us all to search our hearts. God, responding the way you want in the social injustice that is around us. Again, for your glory, in Jesus' name.